Section twenty four of The Natural History, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Natural History, Volume four, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section twenty four. Book eighteen. Chapter sixty seven work to be done after the rising of the virgilae haymaking nature had already formed the virgiliae a noble group of stars in the heavens but not content with these she has made others as well for the face of the earth crying aloud as it were why contemplate the heavens husbandman why rustic look up at the stars do not the nights already afford you a sleep too brief for your fatigues behold now i scatter stars amid the grass for your service and i reveal them to you in the evening as you return from your work and that you may not disregard them i call your attention to this marvel do you not see how the wings of this insect cover a body bright and shining like fire and how that body gives out light in the hours of the night even i have given you plants to point out to you the hours and that you may not have to turn your eyes from the earth even to view the sun the heliotropium and the lupine have been made by me to move with his movements why then still look upwards and scan the face of heaven behold here before your very feet are your virgiliae upon a certain day do they make their appearance and for a certain time do they stay equally certain too it is that of that constellation they are the offspring whoever then shall put in his summer seeds before they have made their appearance will infallibly find himself in the wrong it is in this interval too that the little bee comes forth and announces that the bean is about to blossom for it is the bean in flower that summons it forth we will here give another sign which tells us when the cold is gone as soon as ever you see the mulberry in bud you have no occasion to fear any injury from the rigor of the weather it is the time now to put in cuttings of the olive to clear away between the olive trees and in the earlier days of the equinox to irrigate the meadows as soon however as the grass puts forth a stem you must shut off the water from the fields you must now lop the early leafy branches of the vine it being the rule that this should be done as soon as the branches have attained four fingers in length one laborer will be sufficient for a juggerum the crops of corn too should be hoed over again an operation which lasts twenty days it is generally thought however that it is injurious to both vine and corn to begin hoeing directly after the equinox this is the proper time too for washing sheep after the rising of the virgiliae the more remarkable signs are according to caesar the morning rising of arcturus which takes place on the following day and the rising of the lyre on the third before the ides of march the she-goat sets in the evening of the twelfth before the calends of june and in attica the dog on the eleventh before the calends of june according to caesar orion's sword begins to appear and according to the same writer on the fourth before the nonus of june the eagle rises in the evening and in assyria as well on the seventh before the ides of june arcturus sets in the morning 
to the people of Italy, and on the fourth before the Ides the dolphin rises in the evening. On the seventeenth before the Calends of July Orion's sword rises in Italy, and, four days later, in Egypt. On the eleventh before the Calends of July, according to Caesar's reckoning, Orion's sword begins to set. And the eighth before the Calends of July, the longest day of the year, with the shortest night, brings us the summer solstice. In this interval of time the vine should be cleared of its superfluous branches, and care taken to give an old vine one turning up at the roots, a young tree, too. Sheep, too, are sheared at this period, lupines turned up for manuring the land, the ground dug, vetches cut for fodder, and beans gathered in and threshed. About the calends of June the meadows are mown, the cultivation of which, the one which is the easiest of all, and requires the smallest outlay, leads me to enter into some further details relative to it. Meadow land should be selected in a rich, or else a moist or well-watered soil, and care should be taken to drain the rainwater upon them from the high road. The best method of ensuring a good crop of grass is first to plough the land, and then to harrow it. But, before passing the harrow over it, the ground should be sprinkled with such seed as may have fallen from the hay in the haylofts and mangers. The land should not be watered, however, the first year, nor should cattle be put to graze upon it before the second hay harvest, for fear lest the blade should be torn up by the roots, or be trodden down and stunted in its growth. Meadow land will grow old in time, and it requires to be renovated every now and then by sowing upon it a crop of beans, or else rape or millet, after which it should be sown the next year with corn, and then left for hay the third. Care, too, should be taken every time the grass is cut, to pass the sickle over the ground, and so cut the aftermath which the mowers have left behind, for it is a very bad plan to leave any of the grass and let it shed its seed there. The best crop for meadowland is trefoil, and the next best is grass. Numulus is the very worst of all, as it bears a pod which is particularly injurious. Aquestatis, too, which derives its name from its resemblance to horsehair, is of a noxious character. The proper time for mowing grass is when the ear begins to shed its blossom, and to grow strong. Care must be taken to cut it before it becomes dry and parched. Don't mow your hay too late, says Cato, but cut it before the seed is ripe. Some persons turn the water upon it the day before mowing, where it is practicable to do so. It is the best plan to cut hay in the night while the dews are falling. In some parts of Italy the mowing is not done till after harvest. This operation, too, was a very expensive one in ancient times. In those days the only whetstones known were those of Crete and other places beyond sea, and they only used oil to sharpen the scythe with. For this purpose the mower moved along, with a horn, to hold the oil, fastened to his thigh. Italy has since furnished us with whetstones which are used with water, and give an edge to the iron quite equal to that imparted by the file. These water whetstones, however, turn green very quickly. Of the scythe there are two varieties. The Italian, which is considerably shorter than the other, and can be handled among underwood even, and the Gallic, which makes quicker work of it, when employed on extensive domains, for there they cut the grass in the middle only, and pass over the shorter blades. The Italian mowers cut with one hand only. 
it is a fair day's work for one man to cut a juggerum of grass and for another to bind twelve hundred sheaves of four pounds each when the grass is cut it should be turned towards the sun and must never be stacked until it is quite dry if this last precaution is not carefully taken a kind of vapour will be seen arising from the rick in the morning and as soon as the sun is up it will ignite to a certainty and so be consumed when the grass has been cut the meadow must be irrigated again for the purpose of ensuring a crop in the autumn known as the cordum or aftermath at interamna in Ubria, the grass is cut four times a year and this although the meadows there are not irrigated in most places three after all this has been done too the pasturage of the land is found no less lucrative than the hay it has produced this however is a matter of consideration for those more particularly who rear large herds of cattle and every one whose occupation is to breed beasts of burden will have his own opinions upon the subject it is found however the most lucrative of all by those whose business it is to train chariot horses chapter sixty eight the summer solstice we have already stated that the summer solstice arrives at the eighth degree of cancer and upon the eighth day before the calends of july this is an important crisis in the year and of great interest to the whole earth up to this period from the time of the winter solstice the days have gone on increasing and the sun has continued for six months making his ascension toward the north having now surmounted the heights of the heavens at this point he reaches the goal and after doing so commences his return towards the south the consequence of which is that for the next six months he increases the nights and subtracts from the length of the days from this period then it is the proper time to gather in and store away the various crops in succession and to make all due preparations for the rigour and severity of the winter it was only to be expected that nature should point out to us the moment of this change by certain signs of an indubitable character and she has accordingly placed them beneath the very hands of the agriculturalist bidding the leaves turn round upon that day and so denote that the luminary has now run its course and it is not the leaves of the trees only that are wild and far remote that do this nor have those persons who are on the lookout for these signs to go into devious forests and mountain tracks to seek them nor yet on the other hand are they to be seen in the leaves of the trees only that are grown in the vicinity of cities or reared by the hand of the ornamental gardener although in them they are to be seen as well nature upon this occasion turns the leaf of the olive which meets us at every step she turns the leaf of the linden sought by us as it is for a thousand purposes she turns the leaf of the white poplar too wedded to the vine that grows upon its trunk and still for her all this is not enough you have the elm she says reared for the support of the vine and the leaf of that i will make turn as well the leaves of this tree you have to gather for fodder the leaves of the vine you prune away only look upon them and there you behold the solstice they are now pointing towards a quarter of the heavens the reverse of that towards which they looked the day before the twigs of the withy that most lowly of trees you employ for tying things without number you are a head taller than it i will make its leaves turn round as well why complain then that you are but a rustic peasant it shall be no fault of mine if you do not understand the heavens and become acquainted with the movements of the celestial bodies 
i will give another sign too that shall address itself to your ear only listen for the cooing of the ring doves and beware of supposing that the summer solstice is past until you see the wood pigeon sitting on her eggs between the summer solstice and the setting of the lyre on the sixth day before the calends of july according to caesar's reckoning orion rises and upon the fourth before the nonus of july his belt rises to the people of assyria upon the morning of the same day also the scorching constellation of procyon rises this last constellation has no name with the romans unless indeed we would consider it as identical with canacula or the lesser dog which we find depicted among the stars this last is productive of excessive heat as we shall shortly have further occasion to state on the fourth before the nonus of july the crown sets in the morning to the people of chaldea and in attica the whole of orion has risen by that day on the day before the ides of july the rising of orion ends to the egyptians also on the sixteenth before the calends of august procyon rises to the people of assyria and the day but one after of nearly all other countries as well indicating a crisis that is universally known among all nations and which by us is called the rising of the dog star the sun at this period entering the first degree of leo the dog star rises on the twenty-third day after the summer solstice the influence of it is felt by both ocean and earth and even by many of the animals as well as stated by us elsewhere on the appropriate occasions no less veneration in fact is paid to this star than to those that are consecrated for certain gods it kindles the flame of the sun and is one great source of the heats of summer on the thirteenth day before the calends of august the eagle sets in the morning to the people of egypt and the breezes that are the precursors of the estian winds begin to blow these according to caesar are first perceived in italy on the tenth before the calends of august the eagle sets in the morning of that day to the people of attica and on the third before the calends of august the royal star in the breast of leo rises in the morning according to caesar on the eighth before the ides of august one half of arcturus has ceased to be visible and on the third before the ides the lyre by its setting opens the autumn according to caesar at least though a more exact calculation has since shown that this takes place on the sixth day before the ides of that month the time that intervenes between these periods is one that is of primary importance in the cultivation of the vine as the constellation of which we have spoken under the name of canicula has now to decide upon the fate of the grape it is at this period that the grapes are said to be charred a blight falling upon them which burns them away as though red-hot coals had been applied to them there is no hail that can be compared with this destructive malady nor yet any of those tempests which have been productive of such scarcity and dearth for the evil effects of these at the very utmost are only felt in isolated districts while the coal blight on the other hand extends over whole countries far and wide still however the remedy would not be very difficult were it not that men would much rather calumniate nature than help themselves it is said that democritus who was the first to comprehend and demonstrate that close affinity which exists between the heavens and the earth 
finding his laborious researches upon that subject slighted by the more opulent of his fellow-citizens and presaging the high price of oil which was about to result upon the rising of virgilier as we have already mentioned and shall have to explain more fully hereafter bought up all the oil in the country which was then at a very low figure from the universal expectation of a fine crop of olives a proceeding which greatly surprised all who knew that a life of poverty and learned repose was so earnestly the object of his aspirations when however his motives had been fully justified by the result and vast riches had flowed in upon him apace he returned all his profits to the disappointed proprietors whose avarice had now taught them to repent thinking it quite sufficient to have thus proved how easy it was for him to acquire riches whenever he pleased at a more recent period again sextius a roman philosopher residing at athens made a similar application of his knowledge such then is the utility of science the instructions provided by which it shall be my aim as clearly and as perspicuously as possible to apply to the various occupations of a country life most writers have said that it is the dew scorched by a burning sun that is the cause of mildew in corn and of coal blight in the vine this however seems to me in a great measure incorrect and it is my opinion that all blights result entirely from cold and that the sun is productive of no injurious effect whatever this in fact will be quite evident if only a little attention is paid to the subject for we find that the blight makes its appearance at the first in the night-time only and before the sun has shone with any vigour the natural inference is that it depends entirely upon the moon and more particularly as such a calamity as this is never known to happen except at the moon's conjunction or else at the full moon periods at which the influence of the heavenly body is at its greatest height for at both of these periods as already stated by us more than once the moon is in reality at the full though during her conjunction she throws back to the heavens all the light which she has received from the sun the difference in the effects produced by the moon at these two periods is very great though at some time equally apparent for at the conjunction that body is extremely hot in summer but cold in winter while on the other hand at the full moon the nights are cold in summer but warm in winter the reason of this although Fabanius and the greek writers adopt another method of explaining it is quite evident during the moon's conjunction in the summer she must of necessity move along with the sun in an orbit nearer to the earth and so become warmed by the heat which she receives by reason of her closer vicinity to the sun in winter again at the time of the conjunction she is farther off from us the sun being also removed to a greater distance on the other hand again when the moon is at the full in summer she is more remote from the earth and in opposition with the sun while in winter she approaches near to us at that point by adopting the same orbit as at her conjunction in summer naturally humid herself as often as from her position she is cold she congeals to an unlimited extent the dews which fall at that period of the year chapter sixty nine causes of sterility but we ought always to bear in mind more particularly that there are two varieties of evils that are inflicted upon the earth by the heavens the first of these known by us under the name of tempests 
comprehends hailstorms, hurricanes, and other calamities of a similar nature. When these take place at the full moon, they come upon us with additional intensity. These tempests take their rise in certain noxious constellations, as already stated by us on several occasions. Arcturus, for instance, Orion, and the Kids. The other evils that are thus inflicted upon us supervene with a bright, clear sky, and amidst the silence of the night, no one being sensible of them until we have perceived their effects. These dispensations are universal and of a totally different character from those previously mentioned, and have various names given to them, sometimes mildew, sometimes blast, and sometimes coal blight. But in all cases sterility is the infallible result. It is of these last that we have now to speak, entering into details which have not hitherto been treated of by any writer, and first of all we will explain the causes of them. Independently of the moon, there are two principal causes of these calamities, which emanate more particularly from two quarters of the heavens of but limited extent. On the one hand, the Virgiliae exercise an especial influence on our harvest, as it is with their rising that the summer begins, and with their setting the winter. Thus embracing, in the space of six months, the harvest, the vintage, and the ripening of all the vegetable productions. In addition to this, there is a circular tract in the heavens, quite visible to the human eye even, known as the Milky Way. It is the emanations from this, flowing as it were from the breast, that supply their milky nutriment to all branches of the vegetable world. Two constellations more particularly mark this circular tract, the eagle in the north and Canicula in the south. Of this last, we have already made mention in the appropriate place. This circle traverses also Sagittarius and Gemini, and passing through the center of the sun cuts the equinox line below, the constellation of the eagle making its appearance at the point of intersection on the one side and Canicula on the other. Hence it is that the influences of both these constellations develop themselves upon all cultivated lands, it being at these points only that the center of the sun is brought to correspond with that of the earth. If, then, at the moments of the rising and setting of these constellations, the air, soft and pure, transmits these genial and milky emanations to the earth, the crops will thrive and ripen apace. But if, on the other hand, the moon, as already mentioned, sheds her chilling dews, the bitterness, therefore, infuses itself into these milky secretions, and so kills the vegetation in its birth. The measure of the injury so inflicted on the earth depends, in each climate, upon the combination of the one or the other of these causes, and hence it is that it is not felt in equal intensity throughout the whole earth, not even precisely at the same moment of time. We have already said that the eagle rises in Italy on the thirteenth day before the calends of January, and the ordinary course of nature does not permit us before that period to reckon with any degree of certainty upon the fruits of the earth, for if the moon should happen to be in conjunction at that time, it will be a necessary consequence that all the winter fruits, as well as the early ones, will receive injury more or less. The life led by the ancients was rude and illiterate. Still, as will be readily seen, the observations they made were not less remarkable for ingenuity than are the theories of the present day. With them there were three set periods for gathering in the produce of the earth, 
and it was in honor of these three periods that they instituted the festive days, known as the Ribogalia, the Floralia, and the Vinalia. The Ribogalia were established by Numa in the fortieth year of his reign, and are still celebrated on the seventh day before the calends of May. As it is at this period that mildew most makes its first attacks upon the growing corn. Vero fixes this crisis at the moment at which the sun enters the tenth degree of Taurus, in accordance with the notions that prevailed in his day. But the real cause is the fact that thirty-one days after the vernal equinox, according to the observations of various nations, the dog-star sets between the seventh and the fourth before the calends of May, a constellation baneful in itself, and to appease which a young dog should first be sacrificed. The same people also, in the year of the city, 513, instituted the Floralia, a festival held upon the fourth before the calends of May, in accordance with the oracular injunctions of the Sibyl, to secure a favorable season for the blossom and flowers. Vero fixes this day as the time at which the sun enters the fourteenth degree of Taurus. If there should happen to be a full moon during the four days at this period, injury to the corn and all the plants that are in blossom will be the necessary result. The first Vinalia, which in ancient times were established on the ninth before the calends of May, for the purpose of tasting the wines, have no signification whatever in reference to the fruits of the earth, any more than the festivals already mentioned have in reference to the vine and the olive. The germination of these last, not commencing, in fact, till the rising of the Virgilia, on the sixth day before the Ides of May, as already mentioned on previous occasions. This, again, is another period of four days, which should never be blemished by dews, as the chilling constellation of Octurus, which sets on the following day, will be sure to nip the vegetation, still less ought there to be a full moon at this period. On the fourth before the nones of June, the eagle rises again in the evening, a critical day for the olives and vines in blossom, if there should happen to be a full moon. For my part I am of the opinion that the eighth before the calends of July, the day of the summer solstice, must be a critical day for a similar reason, and that the rising of the dog-star, twenty-three days after the summer solstice, must be so too, in case the moon is then in conjunction, for the excessive heat is productive of injurious effects, and the grape becomes prematurely ripened, shriveled, and tough. Again, if there is a full moon on the fourth before the nones of July, when Canicula rises to the people of Egypt, or at least on the sixteenth before the calends of August, when it rises in Italy, it is productive of injurious results. The same is the case, too, from the thirteenth day before the calends of August, when the eagle sets, to the tenth before the calends of that month. The second Vinalia, which are celebrated on the fourteenth before the calends of September, bear no reference to these influences. Varro fixes them at the period at which the lyre begins its morning setting, and says that this indicates the beginning of autumn, the day having been set apart for the purpose of propitiating the weather. At the present day, however, it is observed that the lyre sets on the sixth before the Ides of August. Within these periods there are exerted the sterilizing influences of the heavens, although I am far from denying that they may be considerably modified by the nature of the locality, according as it is hot or cold. Still, however, it is sufficient for me to have demonstrated the theory, the modifications of its results depending, in a great degree, 
upon attentive observation. It is beyond all question, too, that either of these two causes will always be productive of its own peculiar effects, the full moon, I mean, or else the moon's conjunction. And here it suggests itself how great we ought to admire the bounteous provisions made for us by nature. For, in the first place, these calamitous results cannot by any possibility befall us every year, in consequence of the fixed revolutions of the stars, nor indeed when they do happen, beyond a few nights in the year, and it may be easily known beforehand which nights these are likely to be. In order, too, that we might not have to apprehend these injuries to vegetation in all the months, nature has so ordained that the times of the moon's conjunction in summer and of the full moon in winter, with the exception of two days only at these respective periods, are well ascertained, and that there is no danger to be apprehended on any but the nights of summer, and those nights the shortest of all. In the daytime, on the other hand, there is nothing to fear. And then, besides, these phenomena may be so easily understood that the ant even, that most diminutive of insects, takes its rest during the moon's conjunction, but toils on, and that during the night as well when the moon is full. The bird, too, called the para, disappears on the day on which Sirius rises, and never reappears until that star has set, while the witwall, on the other hand, makes its appearance on the day of the summer solstice. The moon, however, is productive of no noxious effects at either of these periods, except when the nights are clear, and every movement of the air is lulled, for so long as clouds prevail, or the wind is blowing, the night dews never fall. And then, besides, there are certain remedies to counterset these noxious influences. CHAPTER Seventy, REMEDIES AGAINST THESE NOXIOUS INFLUENCES when you have reason to fear these influences, make bonfires in the fields and vineyards of cuttings or heaps of chaff, or else of the weeds that have been rooted up. The smoke will act as a good preservative. The smoke, too, of burning chaff will be an effectual protection against the effects of fog, when likely to be injurious. Some persons recommend that three crabs should be burnt alive among the trees on which the vines are trained, to prevent these from being attacked by coal blight while others say that the flesh of the solurus should be burnt in a slow fire, in such a way that the smoke may be dispersed by the wind throughout the vineyard. Varro informs us that if at the setting of the lyre, which is the beginning of autumn, a painted grape is consecrated in the midst of the vineyard, the bad weather will not be productive of such disastrous results as it otherwise would. Archibius has stated, in a letter to Antiochus, king of Syria, that if a bramble frog is buried in a new earthen vessel in the middle of a cornfield, there will be no storms to cause injury. Chapter 71. Work to be done after the summer solstice. The following are the rural occupations for this interval of time. The ground must have another turning up, and the trees must be cleared about the roots and molded up, where the heat of the locality requires it. Those plants, however, which are in bud, must not be spaded at the roots, except where the soil is particularly rich. The seed pods, too, must be well cleared with the hoe, the barley harvest got in, and the threshing floor prepared for the harvest with chalk, as Cato tells us, slackened with emuria of olives. Virgil makes mention of a method still more laborious even. 
In general, however, it is considered sufficient to make it perfectly level and then to cover it with a solution of cow dung and water, this being thought sufficient to prevent dust from rising. End of section 24